everyone, and welcome to Minute 29 of Movie Rob Minutes, the daily podcast where we take a wild trip through the 1987 John Hughes comedy, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Jim O'Kane, the godfather of the Movies by Minutes community. Howdy. <laughs> Howdy. Even though you didn't uh, do The Godfather, someone else. No, 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 no. That's that's Alex Robinson. <laughs> that's that Alex. One. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Thanks and uh, glad glad to be back as we're we're on the down downward slide of the of the week. Waking waking up with John Candy and Steve Martin. That's true. Uh, that's true. So minute twenty nine begins with the the piggies continuing to squeal in a long shot from the the motel and and ends when Neil asks Dell. A very important question. <laughs> so basically, oh. yesterday's minute ended with the two of them fast asleep, getting robbed by some pizza boy or just a, a, a typical motel thief, whichever, whichever, however you want to credit Gary Riley, could be either. <laughs> and today we we get to see that it's morning. We hear the the, the pigs making their 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 squeaking sounds or in the morning. And you can see that there, you can see 24 rooms that are visible from the, the shot of this, this motel. So you can assume that there's probably another 24 on the other side because this is an I-shaped, or it looks at least like an I-shaped motel. We, we discussed weeks ago about the fact that, that you have different shapes of the motels. You have the I-shaped, the L-shaped, and the H-shaped. And the way that it looks, it looks like it might be an I-shape, but you never know because it's hard to tell from the shot. Yeah, interesting to see uh, that it was probably a deflagged, uh, a deflagged franchise. Um, but usually, uh, the, I mean, the, the early the '60s '70s style ones that didn't have an interior hallway, those were usually deflagged by, uh, you know, companies like Holiday Inn and Ramada. I, mean, I don't know if you've if you've covered this already, but the, mostly we discussed it a little bit. But yeah, but from a security point of view, it's better to have an interior hallway than the old what what they called the American style, which was. Uh, holiday and great sign uh type of of hotels that had uh exterior you could walk out you could walk out your front door and you're in the parking lot right so um and well this one, one this one we know is is an exterior because when when they get into the room and also when the the thief got in there yesterday you see that they're in a hallway that he's in a hallway yeah so. that he's in a hallway so it is so it is an interior lobby which it might have it might have held out i was trying to figure out looking at the uh looking at the sign the sign is a rebranded where it says, you know, Eddie, Eddie's, um, the, uh, the original layout of that logo looks like it was a quality court, which, uh, is now part of Clarion. Um, Clarion owns it. A good friend of mine uh, who's a frequent guest on, on a lot of my podcasts, Peter Regan, who also is on our, uh, well, we'll, we'll talk about Silverado a minute later, but he's going to be a host, uh, this year on, uh, on our other show. Um, he worked for, uh, Wyndham Hotel Group. And uh, his job was mostly reflagging uh, hotels. They would sign up with the Wyndham Group, and uh, then they it, basically, if you saw a hotel that had a bed sheet with the word Wyndham on it over the old name of whatever the hotel was, uh, Peter had visited the site. Wow! Um, but it's it, it's intriguing to see what you know what qualified uh, what qualified hotels to to be in a a chain of hotel uh, of hotel systems. Um, and this, usually when you see a name and it's a one-off, that means that somehow they failed to meet the, uh, the requirements of, of a franchise. Um, so that's usually a, a bad, a bad thing. Yeah. Sounds that um, way. I, I, 
I'm impressed by this this opening this opening shot. I think if it were done nowadays, this would be a uh, this would be from a drone. But this looks like they brought out an old style Chapman crane. Do that big crane shot as it lifts up from the the pig behinds yeah. <laughs> up over the, the level of the uh, uh, the the power lines in yeah. front of it. Yeah, but, it is definitely a nice shot, and it it as we mentioned, yeah. it gives us a clear idea as to where this is. This is in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> In the yeah, middle of nowhere, yeah. Kansas. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 rough. And then you know that that sudden that that jarring shot into uh, uh, Dell's l- little shrine to his wife yes. and uh, and and his, <laughs> his wife and his life. I mean, we see the 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 wallet that uh, that the, uh, the what would have been the original Pizza Boy uh, had had pilfered. And uh, there's all kinds of little nuggets of Dell's life there. He's he's got a pack of Rolades. And um, some Johnson and Johnson floss, um, a bunch of uh, uneaten Cracker Jacks, cigarette uh, ashes uh, lining the empty, the three empty uh, Millers, his half of the six pack, yeah. and um, and chiclets to cover up the smell of those Kent cigarettes with uh, with their horrible micronite. Fill. Kent cigarettes were pretty bad. Uh, it, this is after it. it after some things that happened with uh, Kent Cigarette Company in the 1960s, before 1960s, you're taking away all, all the stuff I was going to talk about. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I have, I have a personal, <laughs> I have a personal relationship with Kent Cigarettes. Just not uh, uh, Kent Cigarettes were the uh, cigarettes themselves uh, were made in uh, made in uh, North Carolina, but. Uh, the filters, the Micronite filters on top, were made in a small town in uh, the middle of Massachusetts. Uh, Micronite was Kent's um, Kent's trade name for asbestos. Carcinogenic uh, blue asbestos. Yes, yes, it, it's a nice fluffy cotton-looking uh, uh, thing that sticks out of the the cigarettes, and people would rub their tongues against the the asbestos that was sticking out of the back of the filter. Um, but, uh, yeah, Kent cigarettes, uh, not only could you get lung cancer, but you could also, you know, double dose yourself with mesothelioma. That is correct. Wow. That's pretty good. And my, uh, see Jim, my, I don't even need to do research when you're on the show. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, 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 you don't I, have to apologize. I'm saying this great. Like, you know, all this stuff already. No, no. Um, yeah, my, uh, my dad, uh, unfortunately passed away about 12 years ago from mesothelioma. He was a boilermaker. And uh, as, a, as a result, during that, while he was while he was uh, being treated for mesothelioma, I learned a lot about asbestos and just the idea of people buying Kent cigarettes that, it, you know, it's it's bad enough if you were breathing it just floating in the air, but you're actually sticking the asbestos in your mouth to uh, to suck up some uh, carcinogenic uh, tobacco, you know, nic- nicotine and tar flowing through your lungs and just speeding up the process. Wow. Um, but just yeah, it's uh, asbestos. I think short of plutonium, I think asbestos is the most carcinogenic element known to man. And um, you know, the idea that they put these cigarettes are bad enough, but it's like, how can we make it even more deadly? Um, and they they made them for like I don't know twenty or thirty years with loaded with asbestos before they switched to cotton right. or something. So I, just, uh, basically, what what I found ahead. was is that first of all, Kent, the Kent was introduced in nineteen fifty two. And it was the first popular filtered cigarette because there was there was an wow. article in Reader's Digest called Cancer by the Carton, which began to scare American consumers into seeking out filtered cigarettes 
because most of the brands were filterless at the time. Okay. They, yeah. they, they widely touted that they had this famous Micronite filter and they promised their consumers the greatest health protection in history. Isn't that ironic? Uh. <laughs> their sales at that point skyrocketed. How many cigarettes do you think they sold within the first four years on the market? I, I would imagine in the fifties, again, I would imagine it was in the seven figures. I would think then we're 13 billion cigarettes. Wow. 13 billion cigarettes. Wow. That's just unbelievable. And then the, the rest of the information I have is all about what you discussed before about the, about the filter and the asbestos and the mesotheloma. So, yeah, yeah, it does. It's non, it's non-soluble. It doesn't dissolve in water. Which so makes you wonder why 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 Dell is is smoking these cigarettes thirty years after they realized yeah, that they're probably yeah well they were yeah at, at that time that those cigarettes probably had the cotton filters not that they were any better and you know unfortunately we, we lost John Candy to heart disease so it's it's like uh oh um, but uh, yeah it just it's amazing to see uh, you know to see those filters and at the time that this movie was made in 1970 uh the FDA outlawed uh the uh, commercials television and movie commercials for uh cigarette products so i'm just wondering if uh can cigarettes you know this if this was product placement at, at the request of uh, of the Kent cigarette company could you could you have him smoke Kent's if he's going to smoke have him have him smoke these could be um but uh yeah quite a quite a i don't know i don't know you know <laughs> Do you do you accept uh, Dell's character as somebody that you want to have promoting your uh, your products? I guess the Chiclet Company thought so, and uh, and, and Cracker, Cracker Jack, Jack. Too. And, and Miller Beer, and so. Miller Beer, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And right he now, wasn't even drink. He, he wasn't even drinking light beer at the time, which Miller Light was being promoted heavily. Well, the the, the irony is is that according to the script, they didn't drink any beer because wow. when they opened the cans, the cans exploded. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's even more interesting the fact that they still have three open cans on the side there. Uh, maybe maybe they got wise after the first one exploded and decided to figure out a way of opening them, you know, where they wouldn't explode. That so, I don't know. Um, I was wondering about uh, have you discussed Magic Fingers before about the uh, the ma the Magic Fingers machine? We, we discussed it briefly. I mean, if you have something to add, go right ahead. No, no, I just um uh I I just was wondering if I I know that uh. I know that they were, I may know somebody who is related to the guy that invented magic. Oh, wow. fingers. My, my good friend, Dave Hotelling. Um, he, this, this was, this was a guy. Um, I have to ask him about this now because I, I had looked it up a little bit before we had uh, gone on the show and it was like, well, wait a minute. If he's, if he's done that, John Hotelling, he must, there can't be that many hotellings in the country. So I've got to, I've got to ask him about that. Um, but uh you know it's it's amazing how ubiquitous these were. I can remember uh gosh, I, I told my story uh Wednesday or Tuesday about Walter Cronkite and staying at the staying at the same hotel with him in Cocoa Beach during the not in the same room, the same hotel, but uh in Cocoa Beach, Florida, and they had magic fingers in every room and I keep thinking, I wonder if Walter Cronkite used the magic <laughs> fingers vibrating bed. You'll never know. Um, we we uh my you know nowadays you still see these in shopping centers only they're attached to chairs, and I pointed out to my wife once that the uh, and now they're promoted uh, as a little bit of using as for uh, massages. Yeah, like siat shiatsu yeah. and that kind of stuff, and and I I, I point out to my wife the uh, there's a little bit of philosophy next to every one of those 
um, magic fingers, uh, uh, chairs and shopping malls. It uh, in large letters next to the uh, the coin box. It says chairs do not make change. And I thought, yeah, that's the words of wisdom. Really. Uh, <laughs> it works, why not? Ah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, you you mentioned um, all the different things that he has here. Now, as the the the, the shot is panning, so first of all, we have a something. So it's uh, the Patsy Cline song "Back in Baby's Arms," which yeah. is so apropos for this scene because I'll, I'll just quickly read the lyrics that that we get to hear here. It's "I'm back in baby's arms, how I miss those loving arms. I'm back where I belong, back in baby's arms. Don't know why we quarrel. We never did before. Since we found out how it hurt, I bet we never quarrel anymore. I'm back in baby's arms, how I miss those loving <laughs> arms. So again, this is perfect for the fight that the two of these characters had over the, the, the past few days. <laughs> so they, they really yeah. chose a very appropriate song. And it also, it also, um, you know, as, as we'll find out later about his wife, it always, it, it, it might explains why he's cuddling with Steve Martin in his sleep. Um, I, I feel like this is, you know, some, uh, something that he yearns yeah. for and, uh, it's, you know, it, it, it becomes more poignant on reviewing. Correct. Now we we see the chiclets there. Do do you know who invented the chiclets? I do not. It's Adam's company. There. It was Adam's uh, Jim, candy. Jim, stop amazing me every single time with everything that you know. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. I know a lot about things that will do me no good. That's all. That, that, that's, that's, that's not true. I... It does you very. It does you a lot of good <laughs> when discussing movies by minute podcast. So yes, it was invented by Thomas Adams. And he actually is regarded as the founder of the chewing gum industry. Okay. He actually tried making, he was down in Mexico and there, they had this uh, natural gum that was called chickle, C-H-I-C-L-E. Right. And so it's the part of, it's the, it's the, it's in between the bark and the, uh, yes. and the core of the tree. Yeah. Correct. And he wanted to try and use that in order to make rubber suitable for tires. And when that didn't work, he ended up making it as chewing gum. So that says a lot about the fact that chewing gum was originally meant to be rubber for tires. <laughs> In the end, he, he created the first flavored gum, which was the, uh, of the taste of black licorice, which he called blackjack gum. Yes. He also patented in 1871 the first chewing gum making machine. And then he was actually in 1888 was the first person to sell gum in vending machines. Now, there's a little bit of a discrepancy because some people say that he isn't the originator of it, but actually someone by the name of Frank Henry Fleer. Hmm. Oh, Fleer okay. Bubblegum, yes. That's yeah, Double right. Bubble. That's right, yeah. Double Bubble, which was originally called the Blibber Bubble. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I wonder why they changed that. Yeah. <laughs> the wow. Double Bubble. Now, when I saw the name Fleer, the first thing that came to my mind were baseball cards. And then yeah. I, when I continued reading, I actually found out that this, the, the same company that, that was making bubblegum decided to start making baseball cards. Now, I always thought it worked the other way around. I thought it was that they had a baseball card company and decided to put bubblegum in it as opposed to yeah, that... trying to figure out what to put in with your bubblegum and let's put in trading cards. Yeah, that that gum that tasted it, it was hard to tell the difference between the taste of the gum and the taste of the trading uh, card. It was just a little <laughs> yeah. very dry. Yeah. And um and now they sell the now they sell the baseball cards without the gum. It's almost a uh, missing yeah, the good apparently. old days. But uh I, I know that if you go to uh 
if you go down, uh, you know, I live in Texas, and if you go into the uh, the border countries in like Del Rio and and uh, Juarez in Mexico, uh, there are kids who sell Mexican chiclets uh, just over the border, and they they have a stronger flavor. There's almost a, I want to say there's a chili flavor oh, to wow. it. It's uh, you can buy they sell you spicy chiclets uh, at the, at the border. Wow. Um, that I know some some people enjoy. I, I've tried them, and it's like I, I like the American you know corn yeah. sugar. But it's uh, but it does it does have a lot a bigger flavor. Okay, that makes sense. So also we we see a pair of Rolades here. So do you know who invented the Rolades? Uh, other than they're made out of calcium carbonate, I do okay, not know. They're, they're made out of calcium and Roland? magnesium. Okay, it was it was invented in nineteen nineteen twenties by Irv, Irvine W. Oh, The original flavor was peppermint, and now they also have cherry, fresh mint, fruit, tropical punch, cool mint, berry, and apple. And in 2010, they had a major recall because people were complaining that the texture and flavor was a little off. So they did a little research trying to figure it out, and they found that they had large batches that contained traces of wood chips and uh, metal particles. Yeah. Which, whoops. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that gets into the. Yeah, somebody somebody brought the picnic bench from lunchtime and sat it on top of the machine Apparently. and probably fell in or something. Um, I do. I do know that one one of the largest uh, one of their largest mines is in um, North Adams, Massachusetts. Our youngest lives not too far away, and I drive past uh, drive past their their mining company on Route 12 in uh, Western Massachusetts uh, when we go and visit. I keep thinking, wow, all that all that stuff in the ground is turning into Rolades <laughs> as we speak. <laughs> hey, why not? Then we also see uh, a box of Cracker Jacks. Do you know where the name Cracker Jack came from? Um, I know that the boy on the front is dressed as a sailor, so I'm assuming it's a navy term. Right. Well, it's it's a molasses flavored caramel coated popcorn and peanuts, and it's well known because and a that's prize. Right, it's well known for having a prize, and it was it was uh, the the Cracker Jack name and slogan. The slogan is "The more you eat, the more you want." That was registered in 1896, and this is considered to be the first type of junk food it was in 2016 they actually stopped putting toys inside of them and they replaced it with a qr code so you can download a baseball themed wow. game uh, instead of thus yeah. uh, the, the, the glories of the world are passing us by that's right so it was uh. it was named by by the fact that there was an enthusiastic sampler who screamed wow that's a cracker jack and they the name stuck and they decided to use that one in 1899, a man named Henry Gottlieb Eckstein developed a wax-sealed package to, in order to keep it fresh, and it would keep dust and germs and moisture off of the, the, this paper in the package. And obviously, there's the whole connection to baseball with the, with the Cracker Jacks. Now, the song, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, which was written by Jack Norworth and composed by Albert von Tilzer, they actually gave Cracker Jack free publicity by adding in the line into their song, buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. It was, it was not a product placement. Wow. You know, in 2004, <laughs> the, the Yankees wow. decided to stop selling Cracker Jacks in, in, uh, in Yankee stadium. And they decided they, they, they switched it with crunch and munch, which is a milder, sweet butter toffee flavored candy. And apparently there was a public outcry, and they they quickly switched back to Cracker Jack. 
<laughs> yeah, nothing rhymes with buy me some peanuts and crunch and munch. Um, exactly. I'll come back maybe after lunch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then the last thing I wanted to discuss on the, on this table is the the, the beer. Did did you notice the what, Miller? What type? No, that's oh, the brand. Oh, uh, Miller High, wasn't it Miller Miller High Life? No, these are Miller Genuine Drafts. Ah. So this was uh, it's a nicknamed MGD. It was introduced in 1985, so we're talking only two years before this this movie came out. When they they had the claim that it tasted like draft beer, but instead it was cold filtered and not pasteurized. Hmm. Okay, you you probably know what the difference is. Uh you can probably explain it better than I can with what I what I what I found. Yeah, pasteurizing you 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 boil you 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 don't boil it. You just heat up to above boiling to kill germs that are in it and it would stop fermentation. So, right. But what's cold filtering? Cold filtering because this isn't this isn't this isn't pasteurized. Well, this is cold strained, filtering. Uh, small enough to get rid of the diatomaceous uh, yeast. Would that is that how the filtering works? I would imagine. It's it's chilled. So that the protein molecules clump together, and then they're easier easier the to skim. filter out. Yeah, when when you're looking at a when you're looking at beer, the head on a beer, it probably doesn't probably doesn't form that big a head because uh, every time you see a foam, a head of beer, all the the bubbles are made out of protein. Um, I I used to work yeah. in a I worked in a microbrewery for for a while, and uh, I learned more than I ever needed to know about beer. <laughs> it's just it's um <laughs> it's it's an interesting process, and it all involves sugars and types of um, you know the interplay of of proteins and and sugar molecules and uh, and th- you know, yeast eating other things and it's it all fast. I'm, I'm sure if you were a chemist, it would be fascinating. I just I, I just remember that the uh, the sacks of hops are very heavy <laughs> when you when you're yeah. jumping them in. <laughs> Completely. So basically, the the few other things that we see on on this night table, we see uh, two green pens, we see a pair of nail clippers. We and we see also uh, keys, which it's pretty interesting that he has a whole set of keys on him like that. You know, he basically just needs a key for his job. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else he needs keys for. You know, he doesn't have a car, and we find out later he doesn't really have a house. Yeah, it's a uh, so, it's and and it looks like a lot of keys on that on that key ring. Yeah, I don't know if he has like storage lockers across the country where he keeps all of his uh, stashes of uh, of uh, shower curtain rings. He has pillows to, to keep changing, yeah. you know, his, <laughs> his regional pillows. Yeah, those mallard, the mallard ducks <laughs> on the uh, on the pillows really stand out in this particular minute. Yeah. So we get a, a the music keeps playing and we get a pan across and we get to see Dell lying in a very strange position. But first of all, we see that he has two pillows. Yeah. Remember we discussed it earlier in the week that he only went to bed with one pillow. Now he has two. And we see Cracker Jack stuck on his mm. shirt, on the back of his shirt, on the sleeve. And then we see the two of them uh, spooning. Yes. Uh, <laughs> very, they're very, they're both very comfortable in this particular well, position. Well shaved, too. I noticed that through this entire movie, I don't know where the razors are, but they seem to be always very, very <laughs> closely shaved. They never have a five o'clock shadow through the whole thing. Apparently. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's pretty good. And at this point, the, the two of them are just sitting there. Dell then kisses Neil's ear, and Neil then smiles in his sleep. And then Dell snuggles even tighter toward, towards him. And then we get a shot of Neil, and he basically opens his eyes. And then you get a quick realization that he knows where he is, and he doesn't. <laughs> 
he's in a little bit of shock as to what's what's going on. And then he says, Dell, and he goes, Yeah, why did you kiss my ear? <laughs> and then Dell responds, Why are you holding my hand? <laughs> and then we see Dell also trying to figure out where he is. <laughs> and then Neil's next response is, where's your other hand? And that's actually how this, this minute ends. We're going we're gonna to leave people in suspense till tomorrow to find out where that <laughs> other hand really is. <laughs> oh, dear. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, Jim, do you have anything else for this minute? No, I think we're all set up for tomorrow's episode on <laughs> completely the payoff part of this. Uh, yeah. So in, in the script itself, there's there's one minor discrepancy. Just we have they, they switch around the conversation between Neil and Dell. That basically Dell is the first one to talk instead of Neil being the first one to talk. Ah, saying why is where is uh, why are you, uh, why are you holding my hand? hand? And then he says, yeah. Why did you kiss my ear? That that's yeah. the only discrepancy. Again, I have no reason to understand why they would have switched this around. Doesn't really make a difference either way. Yeah. But but they probably they probably tried it both ways and figured out this way worked better. Yeah, probably. Exactly. So that's pretty much all we have for this 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 minute. So Jim, as we do every day, why don't you give us another one of your adventures or misadventures for our segment off the beaten track? Uh, we well speaking of off the beaten track, my uh my wife had never been overseas uh before. Uh, we got married, and uh, I said, you know, we, we really should go someplace. You haven't been a lot of places. So what, how about if we go to France? And so she said, sure. So we found a, we found a place in uh, in the Burgundy region of France to go, and they had, uh, it was uh, kind of a B and B place run by a husband and wife from uh, the Netherlands who were expecting to have a gigantic, um, you know, vacation resort that lots of people would show up and and hire them to take everybody on tours and. We showed up and, and rented their room and just kind of went out on our own. I think they were a little bit put off by the fact that we didn't uh, hire them to be our tour guides. I spoke French. My wife spoke a little bit of French. And we just kind of went out on our own. Um, and I think most tourists, if you're on a first-time trip, you go to places like Paris or Marseille or, you know, go, go through, do all the touristy stuff and go to, you know, the wine country. We were in Burgundy, but we didn't really go to any vineyards. But uh, we were we were tootling around in the back roads of, uh, of Burgundy near a town called Auxerre, and I saw this um, uh, this sign called Mobile. It said Mobilier, which means uh, a marble mine. And uh, I turned I turned off the road and we went to this little. Uh, it looked like a cave. It was a hole in the ground, and uh, it was uh, run by a very nice uh, older lady who uh, this thing had been in her family for years. And it was, it turned out it was a marble mine that had been open since Roman times. And, you know, the thing had been there for over two millennia. And we went, we went on this little tour. She gave us a, she didn't speak much English, but I was, we, we worked it out in French. My, my high school French paid off by that point, And she gave us a, a little card to go around and look at things in English. And uh, we wound up in this large, um, compartment in the in the this was about maybe 150 feet underground uh in this this cavern this hollowed out cavern of marble that must have been maybe uh, 30 or 40 feet high and up on the ceiling uh far above us were um these smudge marks on the ceiling and of course you know 2000 years ago they didn't have flashlights or electric lights or anything like that and these were little smudge pots that were used you know burning burning tallow, burning, uh, you know, animal fat in, uh, in jars. Um, you know, basically a lamp 
that um, and that smudge marks are on the ceiling from 2,000 years before. And here we were, here we were inside this large marble mine. And a lot of the the marble that came out of this mine uh, were used during the Renaissance to make you know statues of David and you know, all the, you know Michelangelo had used some of this French this French marble to make things in Italy. And other than this little sign that had said Mobile Air. I never would have seen this place, um, but it was just an amazing bit of being in the middle of this, you know, thousands and thousands of yeah. years of history right above us. And um, yeah, that was, uh, I, I love days like that when you do get off the beaten path and don't see the normal tourist stuff. I mean, you can go to, you can go to Paris and see the Eiffel Tower and the Louvre and all that, but I had more uh, a thrilling time just being in this forgotten Roman uh, mine, marble mine, than anything else we did in France. So anyway, that's my that's my story. Okay, to please it. do. <laughs> so why don't you tell people once again how they can get in touch with you? Okay, uh, you can if you want to follow all my adventures, you can go to jimokane.com, J-I-M-O-K-A-N-E.com, and you can find all my podcasts out there, all the different things I work on, video stuff and audio stuff, and just uh, it's it's all spilled out there for your for your reading and listening and watching pleasure. So uh, try, check that out. Uh, also, while uh, we're on the subject of, of podcasts, Movies by Minutes uh, groups, 26 uh, teams of, uh, of Movies by Minutes hosts are, as we speak, uh, playing out on the Silverado Minute where we discuss the 1985 uh, Western uh, with a cavalcade of stars. It's like watching a big episode of Love Book only set out west. Um, but uh, every, every, every one of our Movies by Minutes hosts gets a week of, of talking about this uh, Lawrence Kasdan directed film. So I hope you can join us there. You can find us anywhere. Well, any, probably anywhere you're, you're listening to this podcast, you can probably find our podcast, but if you want to go to the main site, it's at silveratominute.com. All right. And while you're doing that, you can go try and find me very simply just do a quick search for movie Rob minute. You can find me on Twitter, on Facebook or at our website. So Jim, you want to come back tomorrow and finish off this week? Sounds like a plan and find, and find out where Dell's hand is. Yes. <laughs> uh, All right, well, until tomorrow, you're fine. Yeah, basically, you're fine. <laughs>